0: This is Chris Shields with the Commerce Trust Company, and we have Scott Colbert with us today. Scott, welcome for the new year. We, uh, Scott is our chief economist uh, for Commerce Trust Company, and Scott, you have a unique role here. You get to see more of our clients face-to-face than maybe any other person in the organization. There's, uh, there's a little bit of angst out there with the, uh, with the recent correction and, and the volatility. What have you seen uh, out of investors, and what do they tell you when you go to your investment summits uh, throughout the locations?
1: Well, um, they're anxious. They're worried. Uh, they've all are living through the stock market correction that started in October, and mostly they want to know, you know, if and when the stock market is going to bottom, and then secondly, is all this turmoil going to lead to a recession? Those are probably
0: their two biggest concerns. And you said it—the recession word, the R word—six um, months ago. Maybe not much of the. Uh, uh, the economic lexicon whatsoever and discussions uh, uh, on the economy, here it is now. What, uh, how far out is recession? What, what do we say about the possibility? Well, oddly enough,
1: it's, it's not like a lot has changed over the last six months. And it usually doesn't because the economy is kind of like a super tanker and it takes a lot to move it around. But clearly the forward indicators have faded a little bit. There's, uh, you know, heightened tensions from the the trade tariffs that weren't nearly as important at the beginning of the year. You've seen stock prices fall, and anytime you see prices fall, you know, it raises the anxiety level. It's raised the volatility level. It's, you know, hurt credit spreads. So, you know, clearly, you know, financial conditions have deteriorated. And the question, you know, that that everyone now has is, is this a, um, you know, a harbinger of a recession next year? Our thought process is it really isn't. Um, for a number of reasons. Um, number one, interest rates are already lower, and lower interest rates generally then you know, help push you forward. They don't pull you back. Um, number two, uh, energy prices were already low and falling and going into this morass, not, um, not as a result of the uh, fall in stock prices. And lower energy prices um, uh, never accompany a recession. It's almost always higher energy prices um, you know company recession third you've seen a fed that was basically um, I won't say they're on autopilot but for sure their their dot plot and forward forecast for rates was essentially to raise rates you know another three or four times next year um, back in October or back in you know the third quarter and they've since now had to basically back off of that forecast which ought to also helped uh, you know propel the markets forward and help the uh, equity markets find the bottom. And then the last thing I'd say is, you know, financial conditions are awfully good in the banking and financial system. We, of course, work at a bank. Charge-offs are near all-time lows, and it's not just this bank. It's every major bank um, in the country. Uh, folks, when they're working, pay their bills. Uh, their bills are being paid on time. Uh, their uh, outlooks are positive because they're fully employed. So we're, we're pretty, pretty certain that there isn't a near-term recession on the horizon.
0: Um, Scott, so for hearing from your comments, it, it sounds to me like the economy still has legs. We 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 have a chance for record territory later on this year. I assume you still believe that that's in place and is a, quite a possibility.
1: Yeah, we're nine and a half years into this um, economic positive economic cycle, on um, the longest economic recovery we've ever had between recessions. Though has been ten years. We're just now a chip shot away. You know, another six months away, even five away from uh, you know having the longest economic expansion and we think that's easily doable. Um, how much longer will it continue after that? You know that, that becomes more of a guessing game because basically nobody has crystal balls that look out for, for years. But we think there's still quite a bit of room to run uh, basically given the financial conditions that we have. Um, number one, the leading economic indicators, they only got back to where they were prior to the last recession about a year and a half ago. And typically you get about six years of recovery once they recover, once these leading economic indicators recover. So take a year and a half off of that and you get four plus years of potential recovery. Um, Secondly, uh, you know, inflation and the Fed funds rate are right on top of each other. And typically by now the Federal Reserve will be more restrictive in their monetary policy, having short-term rates, you know, basically at least two or two and a half percent higher than the inflation rate to push us into a recession and right now they have short-term interest rates that are essentially, you know, basically, you know, just on top of uh, the recession. And then the third thing is, is the, you know, the the shape of yield curve, while it's flat now and calling out a clear warning signal that things could slow, um, the length of the recovery is directly proportional to the time that you have a positively sloped yield curve. And we've had a sloped yield curve slope yield curve, meaning short-term rates are lower than long-term rates, for a considerable period of time, and that ought to propel us forward for still, you know, some time. So we actually don't see a recession in the near term at all and think that it probably has, you know, several years to, to go before we run onto rocky territory.
0: Now, we do have a new variable injected into this right now, and it's uh, the partial government shutdown. Sure. Do you see uh, any impact from that long-term going forward?
1: You know, I, I look back on this, and there's been several, seven partial government shutdowns since I've been you know, here for 30 years at the bank. Um, they're almost always, uh, you know, hard to see in retrospect as having had any material impact. I will say those seven previous uh, partial shutdowns generally accompany a debt ceiling so that we have this, this uh, finalized terminus to get this thing put together because nobody wants to default on the debt and that brings everyone focused like a laser beam. This one doesn't have that, and this one is probably likely to last um, quite a bit longer. It's pretty clear we have a, a fairly unique president, and uh, we have a, you know, a new Democratic Congress, and between the two of them, they could I, I think they could butt heads for quite some time. So there's potential to have this be a little bit more damaging than the typical um, government shutdown might have been historically, yes.
0: The other uh, part of the economy, too, the tariffs that yeah. uh, we we haven't heard as much about that in the past, and of course this year we've heard a lot. Um, yeah, trade- I mean, purchase- you know, tariffs have largely been pretty
1: much you know being reduced and reduced and reduced, or almost non-existent during most of our uh, financial lifetimes, and um, you know uh, the, the administration has reintroduced them as a, um, a tool to help us uh, basically uh, uh, you know um, minimize or at least stop the acceleration. In the trade deficit with China, it is true we import a heck of a lot more from China than we export, but the numbers really, relative to the size of the total economy, still are, are fairly modest. They sound big because we import 500 to $600 billion of goods and services from China, but that represents less than 3% you know, of our economy. Uh, we're clearly taxing it. Which uh, you know affects the consumer because you're gonna have to pay more for this. It affects the manufacturers because they have to pay more for this, and it affects the Chinese uh, manufacturers because they're gonna have to accept probably less, uh, less to you know continue to sell uh, into the market. Um, and it is a tax, uh, and it's it's probably not you know I mean it can't be positive for economic growth. In essence, what you have is you have a, a modest war going on where we feel like we can hurt them more than they're hurting us uh, because we export so much less to China. Than we import from them, but it's still a
0: lose-lose situation. It's just a question of who loses, you know, by by less amount right now. Change of gears just a moment. The uh, uh, will the Fed be under any kind of pressure this year? We had four rate hikes last year. Will will they be ease up on that uh, sequence a little?
1: Well, the Fed's been raising rates now um, in earnest since December of 2015. It's hard to believe, but we're three years into this rate hiking cycle. Now they have paused along the way and they've gone very slowly, you know, uh, but last year they got their four four rate hikes in at every other meeting, kind of like they expected. Um, In the past, the Fed can typically raise rates about ten times or two and a half percent, quarter point moves, before they slow the economy enough that they have to stop, perhaps even reverse direction or at least pause. And this was the ninth, this past rate hike was the ninth rate hike in this cycle. So, you know, on a nominal basis, they're close to doing what they normally do, and so it wouldn't be shocking to see them pause. Um, secondly, uh, you know, clearly the outlook for economic growth has diminished. We grew 3% this year, maybe 3.1% when the numbers are all counted. And next year, we're only likely to grow 2%, so clearly growth is slowing. So it's, it's quite likely that they'll, they'll, they'll have to pause um, in their upward movement. But we think that the economy is going to have enough forward momentum, that the stock market will bottom, that credit spreads will improve, that the Fed is likely to still be able to raise rates around mid-year if our forecast is correct for no recession next year.
0: Scott, it feels, though, with all this uh, activity and volatility, that the paradigm is broken somehow. It's different than it was before. Uh, Do do investors ask that question at all to to find out, uh, uh, is this different? Uh, as, as we head into the uh, 2019
1: well what's different is, is we've had a very benign and slow recovery that was accompanied by you know unusually low volatility in the financial markets um, we almost forget that we've had the longest bull market without a uh, 20% correction ever so it's gone on now from March of '09 to essentially uh, even today because technically we only fell 19.9%. So we're in the middle of the longest bull market we've ever had. But late in an economic cycle, um, you always get, you know, upticks in volatility and, you know, uh, uh, a heightened sense of anxiety. So I wouldn't say that this is any different at all. And, of course, the Fed has raised rates nine times, and we did just say that on average they only make it 10 before they've, you know, before they've impacted the economy enough to, to slow things down. So it's, you know, it's I think we're now back to basically... A much more normal market, and it's what you'd expect late in an economic
0: cycle. Another term the Fed likes to use is normalization of rates. Um, are, are we there yet? Have we done the right thing? What do you? How do you assess? The, what kind of grade do you give the Fed on, on the last few years?
1: Yeah, you know, by by normalize they mean to get rates at what would be the rate that wouldn't accelerate or decelerate mm-hmm. the natural economy. Um, they think, you know, we have the ability to grow at about 2 to 2.2% a year without generating any inflation, so basically they're looking for that short-term rate that would afford us that type of a growth rate without, you know, pushing us faster or, or keeping us slower. They can also relate that to inflation, trailing inflation. Historically, the Fed funds rate, the rate that we're talking about that the Fed is able to, you know, change on a quarterly basis, um, uh, has, been, has averaged about 1.5% over trailing inflation they think the real rate, the normalized rate, is much lower today because largely they've caught the inflation gene. They've bottled it up mostly. Uh, technology keeps inflation low, um, cargo container ships help keep yeah. inflation low, access to foreign markets, labor, um, you know, all these things. The Amazon nation of the world uh, has you know pushed back on inflation. So they believe that probably normalized rates are probably about something closer to two and three quarters or three percent if trailing inflation is two. So they're not yet back to what they consider to be normalized rates, but they're much closer and really they're willing to admit they're not even really sure what a normalized rate is, nor is the rest of the market. My hunch is it's actually a lot lower than people think because I've always suggested why should cash give you a real yield? In other words, why should cash be an investment? and generate an excess return over and above inflation. It ought to just be a store of value. If you think about it, where they've got short-term rates right now about 2 and two and 2.25%, that's exactly where cash is. You're not going to make any money holding cash, but you're not going to lose any, which seems to me to be a fairly normalized rate for short-term interest rates.
0: Interest rates throughout the world, globally speaking. Um, are they behind us? Are they following the same uh, sequence of events? Where, where is the rest of the world in relation to the U.S.?
1: Well, I hate to say it, and I think most of us know it, that the rest of the world has, um, you know, had a subpar recovery relative to our subpar recovery. So they're still struggling over in Europe uh, because, uh, for a number of reasons, they weren't able to take the, the action that we took to, you know, you know make economic progress quicker. Uh, Japan is still struggling uh, uh, with uh, inflation near zero. Um, and even China is cooling after having grown at you know very high single-digit pace for a number of years. It's the, the wall of big numbers now in China. Essentially, their GDP is you know, approaching 12 or 13 trillion dollars, so they just don't have the ability to grow as fast as they used to. So things are more punk overseas, there's no doubt about it, um, and it's helped keep interest rates you know, obnoxiously low, if you will. If you're really interested in earning a, a coupon on a bond, Um, you have a hard time when the next six largest borrowers on the planet are only paying around 1% to borrow money for 10 years. Those six borrowers are Germany, Great Britain, France, Spain, uh, Italy, uh, those types of
0: folks. um, They're borrowing money at an exceptionally low rate. If that's the state for interest rates, let's go to inflation for just a second. It's pretty much subdued in the United States. You have uh, Um, Probably a pretty good picture. Commodities are different than they were uh, even six months ago. What do we have to look forward there?
1: Well, you know, it felt like there was a little inflationary pressure going. The number one driver, the Fed believes the number one driver for inflation is primary wages wages and salaries. And to the extent that they're growing at about 3%, you'd say, well, geez, that's 3% inflation. But businesses are productive. They don't just give you your 3% raise without trying to get a little more out of you. Productivity is typically run at least 1% in this country, meaning you get, you know, you get get an extra 1% out of your workforce, you know, every year. So that generates something closer to a 2% inflation rate, and that's exactly where we are spot on with trailing inflation at about 2%. Uh, The Fed was worried that with unemployment at a 50-year low, 3.7%, and wages and salaries accelerating some, uh, and we were late in the economic cycle that perhaps inflationary pressures were going to build But clearly the cooling overseas, the cooling here domestically, the drop in the stock market um, have all put those inflationary pressures, you know, aside. You can see it directly when you look at the price of gas and the the demands, the supply and demand for, you know, what amounts to a very, uh, you know, uh, volatile commodity. Uh, So, you know, inflationary pressure, at least for the, you know, foreseeable
0: future, can be kind of set aside for a bit. Scott, I'm going to wind this up with a very important question that people are dying to know the answer to. Uh, what does the uh, Commerce Trust chief economist think about today's uh, Alabama Clemson football game, and does it have any bearing on the economy, depending upon who wins?
1: I doubt that it has much bearing. I think uh, the bank, from its perspective, is probably a lot more focused on the Chiefs. Uh, you know, uh, the championship game coming up on Sunday. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. It used to be that the, the NFC won, I think it was at the NFC one. We had a good year for for stocks, so I think we should still be rooting, I
0: guess, for an NFC team. Although the
1: Chiefs are AFC uh, old folks, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Um, thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Commerce Trust. For more research insights and market news, visit www trust company one word. Com. This podcast is designed to provide information for Commerce Trust Company clients. It is intended to provide general information only and may be of value to the audience. Comments expressed reflect the opinions of the speakers, not necessarily of Commerce Bank Shares, Inc., and are not provided as individualized investment recommendations. Always consult your legal and tax advisors. Investments are not FDIC insured. They lose value and have no bank guarantee.